Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Jose, I think, is out there setting up, but Jose is one of our elders. Uh, uh, preached again last uh, week, killed it. Hit a really tough topic, but an important one for us, obedience. Um, so make sure you just thank him, spending that extra time. He's got that full-time job and family. Spent extra time prepping to preach, and he loves preaching to you guys. Uh, this is a great church to preach to. You guys are very receptive. And our discussion this last week was great in our connection group. So very appreciative uh, of Jose. Um, we're going to be jumping into Acts. We are now moving through. We're in chapter 6 today. If you want to get your phones ready, if you brought your Bible with you, get that ready. Acts chapter 6 is where we'll be. Before we jump in, I want to uh, give you a heads up on a few things. Uh, we uh, Every other month, we're switching off between doing Mexico outreach and doing a homeless outreach and keeping us missional as a church, keeping us engaged. And so uh, Mexico got canceled due to uh, some COVID restrictions. That's going to be opening back up, but not till next year. So we're going to concentrate on swag. Um, and we're also going to concentrate on Christmas time, dedicating a lot of money to be able to, to help um, uh, provide for them, get them gifts and things like that. We really want to love on people that aren't being considered. And so if you have ideas, things we could do, um, this church just, you know, is incredibly generous. We run in the black every month, uh, and it's because of your generosity. We want to be give, we want to, yeah, we clap about that. It's pretty cool. Um, and so we don't want to just hoard it. We want to give it away and bless people with it. And so, um, just be mindful of that for Christmas. Uh, I'm not talking hundreds. I'm talking thousands of dollars. We want to really be able to bless. So, uh, if you have any ministries, people in need, we really would be excited to bless some people. That'd be awesome Christmas for all of us. So, um, just give us a heads up on that. But uh, we're going to do the Swag Homeless Outreach. It can only take about five to six people. It's a really small group. We spend about an hour, hour and a half, not just giving them food, but having conversation, making them feel normal, loved, talking to them by name. They really, really enjoy it. They love it. And so we partner with a, a, a local a group that called Swag that really um, is ongoingly loving on them and taking care of them and getting them out of there. So the last time I was there, I got to hang out with the dude that now he's out and he's on his own. He has a job that they're into rehabilitation. So uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can do it through our app or you can go online. Again, about five or six people. But that's a great little thing, especially even to do with your families. If you have kids, um, a great thing uh, for them to participate with. So that's happening in November. You can sign up. Also, this is a quickie. Young Life, we're, uh, they're doing a banquet fundraiser. Uh, tells you about what they're doing, stories. It's a very encouraging night. Great opportunity to bring people that might want to know about Young Life. As a church, they are an important part of our ministry. Our youth go to Young Life. We don't have our own like youth group just here. We, we participate with them. They do great campus outreach ministry. That is next Sunday. I know it's quick. So what we did as a church, because of your generosity, we uh, purchased three tables. And so we're, de- we're dedicating a couple grand to help them. That goes towards their salary, buying things, all that kind of stuff. But that night, they can raise more money. So if you show up, Make sure you bring your QR code or they'll have one there so you can boom give or you bring your checkbook or whatever it is. But let's give to them. Let's see them really flourish, not just like barely survive. We want to see them flourish. Next Sunday night, the church already has 24 seats. So signups need to happen quickly because probably by Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going to let Aliyah know um, if we're not going to use up seats. But we got a bunch. So go online. Cost you nothing. We paid for it. Just show up. Have a good time. Uh, do you guys know providing food? Is it dinner? It's a dinner. Is it good food, bad food? What are we looking at? Chicken, 
Meatloaf? Say what? Mexican food? We're down with that. Yep, Southern California. We can roll with that. All right, sounds good. All right, let me pray because I'm still transitioning from Snape to announcements. To, I need to get my mind straight to preacher. Here we go. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Um, I missed last week, even though I was on vacation, Lord. I love being here at this church. I love seeing the faces because it's more than a crowd. There's stories here, God. Um, we've challenged each other. We've encouraged each other. I think of this church, we've seen each other at our best, and we have all seen each other at our worst. And we come through united by your grace, by your love, by forgiveness, by hope, uh, by just the reality of clinging on to you and knowing that heaven is years away, maybe months, maybe days, but, but clinging on to something and someone better than what we have now. And that's you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for the cross that reminds us no matter how bad and tough and difficult or crazy our society is or this life is forever. If we stay close to you, stay committed to you, stay in your grace, believe in your forgiveness, we have eternal life in perfection where there's no sin, there's no destruction, there's really no more conflict. We're in perfect love. And so I pray today would inspire us to bring heaven now, not just to our church, but bring it to our society. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want to be very precise today because... Um, the kids are super pumped, so we're going to condense the service a little bit. We're going to have some time for worship to reflect, but I want to get to it, and then we're going to get out, and we're just going to have a good time. Um, my thesis today, or I'd say the biblical thesis of today to kind of set the table, is the greatest limit to the growth of the church, we're, right? We're, we're looking at the book of Acts, which is the acts of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is really a biography of the Holy Spirit. Just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are of Jesus, now God reveals himself as three in one. Three distinct, in a sense, persons, one God. Jesus displayed the glory of God. Now the Holy Spirit is going to display the glory of Jesus by working through his church. That's why we talked about from the beginning. No one can say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't like his church. It doesn't work that way because that's his bride, the Bible says. And so we're in this book and we're looking at the biography and how the Holy Spirit moves and works and how the Christians and the church kind of flow with the Holy Spirit. And that one of the main impetuses of the Holy Spirit is now to reach people disconnected from church or God. It's one of the main things. Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we work on ourselves? Why do we do those things? So we are vessels that are focused with the biggest objective. And there's people disconnected from Jesus or church that if they don't know him, we'll be separated from ever. The Bible calls it heaven and hell. We believe that. It's not a theory. It's not something that's very just kind of like, maybe it's not something at the end where God's going to be like, ah, joking. I'm really just a nice old man that I really don't have any rules or anything like that. I'm just, we're all in. We don't believe that. And the Bible wouldn't portray that. And Jesus did not even say that. So if we believe Jesus, we're on a mission. Today, we're going to look at how to make sure that that mission goes well and is healthy. Because sometimes you can be on mission and not really be healthy. And that'll cut short the mission. The greatest limit to the growth of the church is not the quality of its programs or its building, but of its people. The greatest limit to the growth of the church is not, I wish we had a better building. 
I wish the preaching was better. I wish the quality of worship, we need to work on the EQ. Oh, the AC, I can't invite my friends. Mm -mm. The greatest limit to the growth of the church is its people. Thus, the quality of the people in the church usually dictate the quality of reaching people disconnected. It's our responsibility. That's it. And healthy things grow. Have you noticed that in nature? Healthy things naturally grow. A healthy church naturally grows. We're going to see that the early church had its first, um, not its first, it's, it's really uh, its reminder of this and its constant reminder uh, of this in Acts chapter 6 and about how God wants to grow things, but to grow in a very healthy way. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Stop right there. Acts chapter 6, just so you know, the church is about two to three years old. Young church. The first five books uh, of Acts happened in about one year. Just so you know, if you read five chapters last week, you read one year of the biography and history of the church. Now we're about two or three years in. So there's a gap between chapter five and chapter six. And that's our kind of estimate. So back then, you had this crazy thing happening. Uh, there became a melting pot, which our culture, we are a melting pot, right? Political views, cultural views, how we all grew up socioeconomic, we're a melting pot, and that's why we struggle. That's why our country struggles, and we'll always struggle because we're a melting pot. Uh, we're not homogenous. Uh, homogenous nations and people tend not to have the conflict or the, the push and pull, right? So we're in a great and unique situation, and we should embrace that. The early church had to embrace it, but that's difficult when people have different views, different humor, different personality. Can I rub you the wrong way? Why don't you just shut up and be quiet? Oh, I would never say the word. Oh, you know, it, and those thoughts happen in our brains, right? It happened in the early church. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's very real. Listen, this is what's going on. And so what you had to happen in here is when you read Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic, Jew, or Hebraic Jews is uh, you got to remember the early church when it first started that initially it grew just with people of Jewish faith. So the first few thousand, the boom was of Jewish faith. And what they had to understand is now God wants to expand to people outside of your culture and your former religion of being a Hebrew or being a Jewish person that relied on the law and customs to be, make you right with God. Now it's by God's grace and his forgiveness that makes you right, right? And so they're growing and what's happening is now the church is bringing in these people of different cultures. So the, the Hellenistic culture, just you know, that just means like Greek Roman background. They weren't of the Jewish custom and faith. So they, they're coming in with a different view, political view, social views, all that kind of stuff. Just so you know, that's why early on in the church, Paul had to write a lot about women in the church. And, and we read those passages like, why would Paul say this or Paul say that? Well, that's because in Jewish learning, men and women learned separately. They weren't together. And you know the crazy thing about the early church? They broke that down. Men and women are going to come together. And that was really weird. That was really weird. And to hear a woman's voice in church was really weird. And so the church had to work. That's why those letters were written, to help the church work through what was going on, all these different views. 
in the culture of the Romans or the Greeks, they might mix men and women more together. So this is what's happening. And it says that um, there was complaining against uh, the, the Hellenistic Jews, so the ones that, that came from a Roman or Greek background, against the Hebraic Jews because the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So just so you know, they didn't have um, social security back then. They didn't have a welfare system back then. And so this was normal that when people would go over their crops, they wouldn't go over it a second time and pick up all the extra little things. They would save that for people that are poor. So in the Jewish faith, that was normal. Well, you bring in some outsiders, and now it's like, well, we only have so much food. I don't know if I want to share my cheeseburger with that person over there. I don't like their humor. I don't like the way they dress. Those Romans show way too much skin. It's not of my liking, right? All these things are going through their heads. Now we got to share their food with them. So there's some complaining going on because the distribution seems like it's not fair. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. You got your Bibles open? You ready? So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, you shouldn't complain. Shut your mouths, you Hellenistic Jews. Is that what your Bible says? Right? Because the Bible says to not complain. Just shut your mouth. Be lucky that you're even here. You should be thankful that you're even forgiven by Jesus because we are the chosen people, so you're lucky to be around us. doesn't say that. Just so you know, that word complain is called grumbling. It's the very word that got the Jewish people on the Old Testament. You remember them when they were wandering in the desert? That was punishment. You know what it was for? Not snorting coke, not being promiscuous sexually, not getting their theology wrong. You know why God said you're not going to see the promised land to thousands of people? Because they were grumbling. So, but what's going on here? They're grumbling here. Well, this is important as far as when you read about the Bible that there's a difference between being critiquing and being critical. Let me put it that way. The church at times, we will need to be critiqued. We won't do things right. We will miss it as leaders. We will say something wrong. We'll be in a, we'll be in a connection group. Someone will say something inappropriate or they'll have a bad day. We're going to have things that we're like, hey, we need to change that. We need to change this or we're not helping these people here or we need to be more generous there. We need to critique. That's good. Critiquing is in order to build up a person or an organization. Being critical is you're actually looking to tear them down. That no matter what they do, you're still going to have something to say bad about them. And that's the difference. And so when the Bible judges a complaining person, it's one that no matter what you do or what someone does for them, they always have something else to say that's what you're bad about. There's never a thankful sense of thank you for fixing the problem so that it can be in the betterment of everybody. That's the difference here. And so when they were complaining, it goes on to say that, no, the disciples actually addressed it because it seemed to be a legitimate critique. It's okay to critique the church. If there's issues going on, you should have the right to be like, Brian, yo, I got an opinion here. I could be right or wrong, but do we need to tweak this? Or I don't know if that's right or that's good. When the church stays silent, that's when evil things happen, when they see things that shouldn't be happening. Don't say anything. I'm not a pastor. Oh, I've only been here six months. Or, no. We should at least be open to say, I could be wrong, but I have a grievance, or I have this, or I have that. Great. 
but doing it as far as then in, to engage in a discussion to evaluate, is that really a critique? Because just I have a, a, an issue doesn't mean that it's truly an issue. Well, they seem to have one because it says here, so the 12 gathered disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who you are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Circle or underline those words, full of the spirit and wisdom. The only way to solve problems is when we make sure that we're full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit means what? The fruit of the spirit. The Bible lays that out. So they're looking for men that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, organization, humor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it goes on, right? So here's the thing. In order to truly resolve conflict, you must have the heart of God. And when we don't have the heart of God, conflict becomes a bad thing. And here's what it is, is the heart of God is always looking to do what's most loving and what is most peacemaking. It's better to be good than always right. Right? Where when I don't have the heart of God, it's not about love, it's about me being right or just proving you wrong because I like it. What's well, about getting my way, not the best way? And so conflict is impossible to resolve if we're not having that heart. Love, joy, peace. But also there's a wisdom of God. There's a wisdom in how you communicate. Have you guys noticed that in conflict? How someone says something, right? If they say like, hey, I noticed this and it, that bothers me. And it could be me, maybe not, I don't know, but it bothers me and I'd like to talk about it. That's different than you always do this because you're an idiot and it really makes me mad and, and it's, it, I'm angry and it's your fault. Are those probably two different outcomes of how that's going to go, right? There's a wisdom with how to engage in Proverbs if you want to get that wisdom. If you're a person like, I really want to do conflict well, become a student of Proverbs. Proverbs was written to train young men with how to resolve conflict with a lot of wisdom. Why? Because those young men reading Proverbs were going to have to lead armies and nations. So for men and women, if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, if you're in a marriage, if you have kids, if you know another human being, heck, if you have a dog or cat, you will have conflict, right? Mainly with a cat, not a dog, but you'll still have a lot of conflict, right? So you cat owners, read Proverbs. It'll help you deal with that combative little animal. I know I triggered some of you. So the apostles said, listen, the, the 12, they said, we have this issue in the church, but we're going to have someone else resolve it because we need to spend time um, making sure that we are praying and that we are doing the ministry of the word of God, that we're preaching and doing evangelism. Verse 5. It said, the proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose, and then it goes through the seven. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, uh, I can't say, Bill, John, Frank, all these others we don't write. And it said that they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Here's the wisdom. You notice what they did here is all these names, they, they do kind of matter if you're a geek. Here's where they matter is these are all Hellenistic names. They used wisdom. Why? Because all the apostles were Jewish 
men. And they said, maybe we need some balance, right? Maybe we need some balance. So they chose people from that people group. That's wisdom. They wanted to make those widows feel loved. Here's the important thing about a church, too, is you got to remember the church was thousands at this point. Thousands. They'd already grown multiple thousands. For a church to stay healthy, they must remember people are not, or the church is not about numbers. The church is always about people. And even if you're thousands, if there's a group of women that feel neglected, deal with it. They're important enough because they're a human being who loves and trying to love Jesus. When a church gets caught up in numbers, or we're more important, or we're bigger now, that issue's not below us. Someone needs to address it. We're seeing the health of the church and how that's important. Well, we see the effects of it because look at they deal with this in a healthy way, taking care of the situation. It says in verse 7, so the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased what? What's that word there? Rapidly. And it also says a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I'm going to hit that next week. That's super important because this guy, Stephen, that was mentioned, he's going to be the first martyr, the first one to die for the name of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that next week. Why did he die? Because he had a large number of priests coming to faith, and the Jewish priests did not like that. So we're going to talk about that next week, but that's next week. But notice that the word of God spread. And why did the word of God spread? Why? Because there was conflict, but some of the church leaders were like, listen, we're not going to neglect that conflict, but also we're called to do other things. The church isn't about one person. Peter, you solve all the problems. You go preach. You go to jails. Oh, this conflict over here, you take care of it. No, Peter's like, I'm not saying you're not important, but other people can do it. It doesn't have to be me. So we're going to address it. But the reason that it grew is so Peter could go out and preach rather than being in meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to settle the problem. It's like, I got to go preach the gospel. I had seven meetings today. I wanted to spend two hours in prayer. I can't. So the church was not only looking to resolve the conflict, they're looking to make sure that they're organized in a way that everybody's responsible for participating so each person can play their role in order to keep moving the mission forward. This is healthy growth. And one of the things, uh, the main thing I want to write down today, if you're, if you're taking notes, is this. That for the church to grow in a very healthy way, they must keep unity a priority. They must keep unity a priority. I remember when I was a, a youth pastor, we had a pretty large youth group. It was, it was um, uh, a few hundred kids. And we did small groups. And uh, one of the groups, we kept putting people in there, but the group couldn't grow. And how we grew our groups were... Uh, we started with six students, and when they grew to like 12 or 14, we tried to split them off. We tried to multiply groups in San Diego County, and that's how we tried to, to kind of grow our discipleship. This group just had a hard problem. People would come in, but they wouldn't stick, or they'd jump to a different group. I just noticed this. And, um, but I was hearing from the leaders, 
these different reasons why. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not there. All right, if you say so, you know, giving different things. And finally, one of the, uh, the students, um, we were talking and, um, and I asked them personally, they weren't in the group anymore. And I said, hey, you know, you were in that group, all that kind of stuff. And they said, oh, they gossip. Well, like, how bad? Like, give me the juicy details on that. You know, like, how bad is this? You know, come on, you do the same thing. Like, come on, give me the details. I'm a pastor. I need to know. Um, and, it, and what it was is that they would gather together and they were talking about other kids in youth group. But then they would open their Bibles and pray. They felt so good because they opened their Bibles, but they weren't living out the Bible. I mean, even non-Christians looked at that and go, what? So we're actually repelling kids away from the church. You see, sometimes we think about mission as all about what I do. Never forget to accomplish the mission of God. It's more about who you are than what you do. And let me just encourage you with this. People who are disconnected from Jesus or church, they are watching the details of our lives. And not just the biggies, because I think it's one of those things of like, I didn't get drunk at the party, or, you know, I'm not just like, you know, out of control with my anger and cursing up a storm, all that. But they're watching the little things of in the group. And when we participate in off office gossip, and when we don't. When they're ripping on that one person that nobody likes at work, and you don't, we got to provide a difference of who we are. And that's attractive. Maybe not to everyone, but that one person who's sitting in the group being like, I respect that. And then it gives weight to your words if you ever have the chance to say, hey, do you go to church? And they're going to respect that conversation rather than, well, if you're the kind of people at your church, why would I go? There's no difference between us and the world. Keeping unity a priority is really important for us to stay healthy, and solving conflict is the number one way we keep unity. Come on, how many of us have been a part of churches for a while, and we've seen conflict rip apart churches? And it's not conflict that rips apart churches, it's, re- it's not resolving it in a godly way. That's what, it's not having conflict. The early church had conflict. So a healthy church is not one where don't have any conflict. That's where you get like false peace, sweep things under the rug. It's like, just act like everything's happy, right? That's not peace, right? It's called being fake. <laughs> or some of us call it being nice. But sometimes the Bible says, I'm not asking you to be nice. I'm asking you to be loving. And that means what we engage in conflict. We resolve the issue with wisdom and the heart of Jesus. Why? In order to stay unified. Why? Because conflict is a tool of the devil to get in there and to destroy faith and relationships. This church here will have conflict. I think people that are wondering about Jesus or contemplating Jesus, what they're watching is, do we do it with the heart of God or do we do it just like the world? And what does the world do? One of two things. Either they run away or they fight unfairly. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And remember that unity is not uniformity, but it's real harmony. Unity is not uniformity, where everyone acts the same way and talks. That, no, no. But it's harmony. It's that even though we're different, right? Even though the Hellenistic Jews uh, and the Hebraic Jews are different, we can figure it out, right? And we can bring harmony, even though there is diversity. So we settle conflict. We don't run from it or bury it. That will be the key for our health and for our growth. Look at what the Bible talks about. And the Bible, just you know, talks a lot about conflict because it knows it's going to happen. 
Talks a lot about it. This is what the Bible says as far as a church staying healthy, whether we do conflict in our family, whether we do conflict here at church. Talks about some ways that we can do it in a way that keeps us healthy so that we can accomplish our mission. James 1.19 says this, Dear brother and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And what do we tend to do? Quick to become angry, quick to speak, and slow to listen. We get that backwards. What if we were people that even if someone said something that hit us in the gut, that's like, oh, man, we just said, tell me more. Why do you feel this way? What is your expectation? And we ask for permission to speak. This is what I hear you saying. Can I say something now? It would change the whole game. So for us to stay healthy, we must be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Matthew 18 talks about that there needs to be proactiveness in resolving conflict. Some of us, we get hurt, and then we go, and we don't tell anybody, and then we become passive-aggressive, right? And we let little things build. Or some of us minimize it. Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it eats at you, and you replay it while you're driving in the car, and you think about it while you're... And the Bible says, no, 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 no. This is how we stay healthy as a church. If your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. No gossip. And don't do it in a prayer request for your connection group. This is just a prayer, but the prayer is for this evil person at our church who hurt my, right? No, that's not a prayer request. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So it means you've won them over as far as now you can engage in a conversation and resolve the issue, right? But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along with you so that even matter, uh, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three. Maybe there's someone here at church, you have a conflict with them, and they're like, nope, I don't agree. What do some of us do? Run away then, right? Or say, whatever. And then we're, but there's, a, there's a distance there. What the Bible says, listen, if you can't work out between, and this is good in marriages, I'm blown away by people in marriages that they'll have a problem for 10 years trying to figure it out and never talk about outside the home because they want to have the appearance of a good marriage. I'm like, why would you do that? My wife and I have a system. Work out the conflict. If we don't agree, my wife's like, no, I just disagree. And I'm like, well, I disagree. We stay married. <laughs> but we go to someone we trust saying one of us is missing it. And we go to someone we trust saying, here's the issue, who's right? <laughs> and what we tell ourselves is, we give them authority to speak into our lives and whatever they say goes. It's a beautiful thing. My wife has been told that she's right at times. And to this day, I still disagree. I still think I was right. But here's the thing. It's not about being right. It's about being good. It's about staying married for the rest of my life and growing old with my wife. So have the heart of God. It's about love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, not I need to be right every time. And so it says, listen, if you have a conflict you can't resolve, what is healthiness in the church? Go to someone you trust. Go to a pastor. Go to your connection group leader. Maybe you have another couple that you really trust. I don't know. But don't just keep it between the two of you because that can eat at a marriage or it can eat at a family or it can eat at a friendship in the church. And then it goes on to say, if they still refuse to listen, then you tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would pagan or tax collector. So it says, if someone won't listen and change, then you begin to do church discipline. 
Romans 12, 17 says this, do not repay anyone for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So in conflict, we're not looking to, if someone hurts me, I want to hurt them worse. We're looking to love even if we're hurt. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What if when I'm in conflict, before I engage that person, I thought about them and I prayed for them? What if I thought about how they grew up? What if I got to know them, making sure that I know their background? Maybe some things would make sense of why they responded that way. Maybe it would just damper it a little bit. Well, they should be this way. Well, a lot of us as human beings should be a certain way, and we're not. And I'm 48. I should be a certain way. I'm still not. I have a feeling I'm going to be 78 saying the same thing, right? So showing some grace, showing some humility. One of the things I encourage people, and I don't know if they like this assignment, if I've given you this assignment, I don't know if you liked it, but it's, it's super effective. When there's a major conflict, I say, no problem. You can address it. They need to know. They need to stop. Okay, no, chill. You're right. All right. Before you do that, no, no, no. Go and say everything. Before you do that, all I want you to do is this. Take 10 minutes. Write down all the ways you've sinned, about, sinned to God. All the ways you've lied to him, deceived him, not followed through. Just do that. And then go engage with that person. And I bet it's going to be a little bit different. A little bit more grace and humility when we remember our own sins. Some of us, the reason we're bad in conflict is we've forgotten our past. And so we judge someone without remembering how God has judged us, which is with a lot of grace and mercy. So Philippians says, hey, do it in humility. In fact, Matthew 5 says this. This might be a challenge for some of us today. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so you're at church and you're worshiping, and you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Stop worshiping. Stop singing. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift to God. You know what the Bible is saying for us to stay healthy is? Don't keep worshiping and reading your Bible and connecting with God and you have unresolved conflict in your life. What God would prefer is put down your Bible, go and resolve the conflict, then come and worship and read your Bible. Because the Bible reminds us of this. Listen, you can't say you love God and hate your brother or sister. So how, what's the best way for us to love God? Is to love other people in conflict. Because some of us are like, I'm great at loving people as long as they don't cross me. Then I have a problem, right? But Christianity says, no, I'm going to love at all times. This is really important because the early church for it to grow must realize that in order to reach people, you got to make sure that you're bringing them in to a healthy environment. And what we saw in the early churches is they resolved conflict that God blessed them and that they added to their numbers because people really saw the love of Jesus in relationships. So this is a good challenge for our church to make sure as we're reaching people, inviting people, that we remember that the mission can only be accomplished if we're a people that we're healthy. We're bringing people into a healthy environment, not just to a church service, not just to a program, but where they're going to see Jesus is just not as we preach it, but as we see it 
in relationships and how we love one another. The worship team is going to come up now and um, as we worship and as we sing, it's always a good time for reflection. And I'll, I want to encourage you with this. Um, and I've said this before, in order for God to work through us, he first must work in us. And the more, listen, the more deeply God works in me, the more powerfully he can work through me. So as a church, this is a good time for us to say, listen, as we're, uh, we got a little light show going on there. You're good. Um, so this is a good time for us to reflect as we're on mission for God to stop and pause and say, where am I at in relationship here? Where do I need to apologize? Where do I need to resolve things? Where do I need to reconcile so that we are unified and we look like Jesus and we bring people to Jesus in a healthy way? So Jesus, we come before you now and I just pray as a church that we be free of anger, that we be free of resentment, that we would treat each other as you've treated us, that we would be quick to listen because it's not about us being right. It's about us being loving. That we would be slow to speak and using words that we shouldn't use. And we would be slow to anger because there's other things to save our anger for that are happening in this world, Lord, than when we get our feelings hurt or something's not going exactly right. I pray most of all, God, that I pray for the blessing on our church that our greatest asset would not be our preaching, our children's ministry, our worship. I pray our greatest asset would be the Christians in this room who love you. So when we invite people to come and to get connected, they see something different and they see someone different and that's you through us, Jesus. Purify us now. As a church where we need to repent, I pray we'd repent. Where we need to reconcile that we would do it today, Lord. So speak to us now as we worship you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com. 